Jude 24, the Bible says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Well, we have come to the final two verses of Jude's brief letter. It has been a solemn letter. And by solemn, I mean that Jude has been pretty straightforward in his warning about the severe judgment that awaits those who attempt to corrupt God's church. And he's honest at the beginning of the letter by admitting that this was not actually the letter that he wanted to write. Now you have your Bible open there. Just look up to verse 3. Let's be reminded of that. He said in verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. In other words, I intended to write to you about something differently. I wanted to write to you about the blessings of our common salvation. He genuinely desired this. He was eagerly waiting to rejoice with them about all that God's salvation brings to you and I as we share in the gospel together. However, he also says in verse 3, look at it, but I found it necessary to write to you. And this is not what I wanted to write, but I found it necessary to write to you to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. And that is exactly what Judah spent the past 21 verses doing. And the reason why he is writing this letter for us to earnestly contend for the faith is because certain people, Jude says, creep into the church. And by that we mean the big C church as it is spread around the world, and also the Little Sea Church as we meet here together on Plaza Road Extension. Certain people creep into the church, and what they do is they distort the grace of God by their teaching. They deny the lordship of Jesus Christ by their lifestyle, and in so doing, they are leading countless others into the same judgment that awaits those who are responsible for leading into such heresy and rebellion against God's word. This is why he's writing the letter. For we need to always be aware of those who desire to lead us away from the truth of Jesus Christ. We concluded last Sunday with verses 17 through 23 by saying how we are to do this. How it is that we are to contend for the faith the right way. The right way. He has said what he needed to say and now he closes the sermon. And he closes his sermon with a, a doxology. A doxology. A doxology is a liturgy of praise. Doxologies are common. They are a common part of worship. I have often felt here at Laurel that we need to be more purposeful than we have been in adding doxologies to our times of worship. In church history, they were often added at the end of a worship service or a, a hymn or a time of prayer. 
Uh, Perhaps one of the most famous doxologies sung in the church today is Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You remember that one? It's actually called the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I can't believe I'm even thinking about doing this. Let's sing that together. Can we do it? The question is, can I lead you in doing it? All right, here we go. You ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Don't forget the amen. Ready? Ah. Hey, that was great. Let's do that next Sunday, too. Well, that's a doxology. And it's something that we need to do a lot more than we do around here. That's, that's how churches would conclude these significant times of their worship services by declaring together praise to God, praise to God. So what's interesting to me is that Jude is ending the letter the same way that he intended to write the letter, praising God, praising God for our common salvation. I've entitled the sermon this morning, All Praise to Him. All praise to him for Jude is turning our attention from the corrupt behavior of the ungodly rebels to the radiant glory of God our Savior. And it serves to teach us something. That the best way, church family, to get the cobwebs of this world out of our minds is by fixing our eyes on God and praising him for all that he is. Whatever it is, whether it's frustrations and bitterness and anger, discouragement, whatever struggles you have this morning, the best way to get those cobwebs out of your mind is to fix your eyes on God and praise Him for all that He is to us. That's what Jude does here. He turns from the ungodly rebels to the radiant glory of God. Let's look at these things together. First of all, he tells us in this doxology that God will keep his people from stumbling. He gives all praise to God. All praise to God because he will keep his people from stumbling. Look at it there in verse 24. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... Now, this had to be an incredible source of encouragement and hope to that original audience when Jude came to these words. Perhaps even you have felt overwhelmed by the message of Jude as we have studied it together. We've talked a lot about ungodly rebels and dangerous heretics and false teachers. We've talked so much about it uh, that one of our brothers who loves me in this church dearly pulled me to the side this week and pastors, he said, Pastor, are there a... Are there any rebels in the church that we're trying to deal with right now? No, this is just what Jude is dealing with. And so when we teach and preach the word, we want to teach and preach it in the same manner that the word has been delivered to us. 
And so we've talked a lot about that. We've been overwhelmed with discussions about ungodly rebels, dangerous heretics, false teachers who are in droves, it seems, drawing away many, many people from the faith. It would seem, as we've been reminded through this study, that with so much false teaching and ungodliness around us, that many, many people are going to stumble, that many are going to fall away. Maybe we even feel that way about ourselves. Seems to happen to so many. Who's to say that it won't happen to me? Church, only a fool thinks he has no chance of falling. Only a fool thinks that he has no chance of falling. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Mature believers, on the other hand, know that we are very capable of falling. As the hymn says, come thou fount of every blessing that we sing frequently in our services, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. A mature believer understands that we are very capable of falling completely away. But the message Jude brings to us here is that we have a God who is able to Keep us from falling. Think of that this morning. God's chosen people, true born-again believers, are secure in the keeping hand of God. All praise to Him because He is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to keep me from stumbling. These words are a bomb for the anxious soul. These words are an anchor for storm-tossed lives. These words are strength to those who feel so overwhelmed by sin and guilt. What an encouragement that Jude brings to us here. And he wants us to direct praise to God for his keeping power in our lives. For it is God who is able to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. We cannot keep ourselves. But thanks be to God that he is able to keep us. Friends, if it were possible for true believers to lose their salvation, we would. We would. However... The good news and the teaching of the Bible this morning is that we are not kept by our power. We are not kept by our strength. We are kept by God's power. It doesn't say that we are able to keep ourselves from stumbling. It says that God is able to keep us from stumbling. Eternal security, as we call it, is a foundational comfort in our understanding of the true gospel. It is so foundational that Charles Spurgeon said that no other doctrine did he preach more than he did on the security of fellow believers. 
take Jesus' own words for it. In the book of John, chapter 10, he said, I give them eternal life, not temporary life. He said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. He didn't say, I give them temporary life, and for the most part, most will not perish. No, he said, I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. You see, it all comes down to one's theology of salvation. Does salvation begin with God, or does salvation begin with man? Think about your own understanding of the gospel and salvation this morning. Is your theology of salvation theocentric or is it anthropocentric? Is it God-centered or is it man-centered? You see, if you believe what the writer of Hebrews said in that Jesus was the author and the finisher that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He begins our faith. Our faith originates about with him. We wouldn't even be able to have faith if it were not for God regenerating our hearts. He is the author of faith. He is the finisher of our faith. If you believe that to be true, as the Bible says it is, then you will have no problem understanding that God begins salvation in our life and he keeps salvation in our lives. It is impossible for God to lose one of his own. It's impossible. For the psalmist said, he who keeps you never sleeps. Never sleeps. He is able to keep you from stumbling. Now look, with all that being said, we're going to stumble along the way. I use that word specifically because there's two different intents here. The word in the Greek used for stumbling in Jude 24 means to completely fall away. It it, it doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have doubts. It doesn't mean we're not going to have moments in our life, seasons in our lives where we perhaps stumble along the way. What, What he's talking about in Jude 24 is a complete falling away, a complete abandoning of the gospel. A complete turning away of what we have been taught, of the faith that has been delivered to us in the truth of Jesus. Church, listen, we're not perfect. We're not sinless. We're not incapable of falling in terms of disobedience. This is what makes the doctrine of his keeping so comforting. Because his salvation is a guarantee. Not as long as I'm running in a straight line. No, his salvation is a guarantee in my life when I am running in a straight line and when my life feels like it's all over the place. And we go through those seasons, right? 
Maybe I don't feel, or maybe I feel I'm as close to God as I've ever been. Everything's right. I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I'm faithful to church. I'm serving. I mean, my, my sweetness with God. And then we have those moments we wonder, where in the world is God? I want you to know that even in the moments where you can't even sense the presence of God, He is still keeping you as strongly then as you do when you feel like you've never been as close to Him before. His salvation is a guarantee. Proverbs said, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he will rise again. Well, how is it that he rises again? Because God is keeping him. Because God is keeping him. Jude wants us to understand this, and here's where it fits within the context of Jude. This is not just a message on the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of eternal security and your assurance. God doesn't want you to go to bed at night wondering whether or not you're really saved. When you come to faith in Christ, he wants you to live within the assurance of God's keeping power in your life. So this is not a message, an entire message on the doctrine of eternal security. So we have to fit it within the context of Jude's letter. Jude wants us to understand that within the context of this keeping power of God is when we are contending for the faith. That is, all these people come in and try to draw away disciples. Jude says to us who belong to God, God will keep you. God will keep you. It's a part of our faith and trust in Him. We see these things that happen to this church. We see these people over here who wants to profess this in Christ, and now they're living such ungodly lives. And, and then we begin to evaluate our own selves. And God is saying, He is saying to us, listen, don't be overwhelmed by fear. Don't be consumed by this, but trust in the fact that if you belong to God, God will keep you from that deception. He will keep you from falling prey to the ungodly rebels and to the dangerous false teachers who come in and disrupt the gospel. It is to those who are unconverted. Listen carefully. To those who are unconverted, unregenerate. Those whose religion is only a mere profession, but not a true reality. It is to those people whom Jude says are in danger of falling away from the faith that has been delivered to them. Because all they've ever done is just make a profession. They've not made it real. They're religious. They're not converted. They're morally conservative, but they've never had their hearts regenerated. And it's to those who are in danger. So what do we do? Well, we have to do what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We must examine ourselves as to whether or not we are in the faith. Because those who are in the faith are kept. They have no need to fear. But those whose faith is not real, it's only a show. It's only external. It's a facade. It's not real. It is those, it is those who are in danger 
a falling away. How's your faith this morning? Is it real? Are you really and truly trusting in Jesus' righteousness and his righteousness alone for your eternal salvation? Or is there some part of you that's still trusting in yourself? You're trusting in what you prayed. You're trusting in how you were raised. You're trusting in all the years of faithful church attendance. You're trusting in all the conservative things that you think about. Friends, if those are the things you're trusting in, you are in danger of falling away. You're in danger of ungodly rebels coming in and snatching you underneath the sound of the true gospel. we got to get our faith right. Is our faith in Jesus and His righteousness alone? Are we trusting wholly on Him? To bring us the salvation that we are in so desperate need of. Jude wants this to be a theme of praise for God's people. All praise to him because in this world where so many corrupt things are happening. In this world where there are disasters on every corner and disappointments. It's like the kids saying this morning, why should we be sad when Jesus is our king, ruler over all? Jude says, all praise to him. You know why you ought to live daily in praise to him? Because he is keeping you from stumbling. Thanks be to God. Here's the second reason he says all praise belongs to God. Because he will present his people faultless in his glory. All praise to him because he will present his people faultless in his glory. So the end of verse 24, it says, and, and, so not only is he going to keep you from stumbling, but he is also going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Friend, there's coming a day when all of us will be presented to God in the presence of his glory. We will stand before him. We will be presented by ourselves individually. Before God, this is what the scripture calls the final judgment. And the Bible is very clear that all of us will stand before him in his presence. The prophet Malachi makes an observation when he asks in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, who can endure that day, the day of his final judgment? Who can endure that day? Who will be able to stand when he appears? And the answer is, church, no one. No one is able to stand in the presence of God's glory on the basis of the lives that we have lived. No one. You see, the Old Testament has been very clear that because of sin, we cannot survive to be in the perfect holiness of God. That's the whole purpose of the the sacrificial system and the tabernacle and the holy of holies, all those details. It's to remind us that sin, sin cannot exist in God's perfect holiness. Revelation 21, 27 says, nothing unclean will 
ever enter into the presence of God. I appreciate the amens, but for me, it's an oh me. Because I am unclean. So the only way for a person to stand in the glory of God's presence on judgment day is if that person stands faultless. He has to be able to stand before God on judgment day without any sin in his life. So then tell me, who's going to survive judgment day? Who is going to survive the presence of a holy God when we stand before Him? And this is the beauty of the gospel. When Jesus Christ, the one true God, an absolute perfect man, died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, in our place, He made a way. He made the only way for men and women to stand before the presence of God's glory. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, he takes that transaction that he made on the cross and he imputes it into our life. 2 Corinthians 5, He that is God made him Jesus who knew no sin, the perfect man, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. All of our sin, all of our sin was put into Christ at the moment that he was nailed to the cross. And it was put on him that his righteousness, Paul says, might be put on us. So when I come to faith in Jesus and I trust in his righteousness and his righteousness alone, there is a transaction that happens. My dirty clothes are taken off because Christ wore it on Calvary. And he takes his faultlessness. He takes his perfection, his righteousness, his life without sin, and he gives it to me. And now I cover myself up, not in my rags, not in my goodness, but in Christ's perfection. You see, we cannot stand before God on the basis of our clothing, on the basis of our lives. It is tainted by sin. But we can stand before God when we are wrapped in the clothing of Jesus Christ. For it is his faultlessness, it is his perfection that allows us to escape the wrath of a holy God. That's the gospel. You see, right now, because of Jesus, we who believe stand in God's grace. But in the future, we will be able to stand in the presence of God's glory. Romans 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope that we will stand in the glory of God. I am standing in grace today 
and because of his perfection, because he was without sin, because he is faultless, I will stand face to face in the very presence of God when my time comes. That's the gospel. That's why we need Jesus. We don't need religion. We need Jesus. We don't need a change of life in terms of turning over a new leaf and doing things better. We need Jesus. We need his righteousness. For we will stand before the presence of God's glory. And you will either stand there perfect or filled with fault. Those who stand there wrapped in Jesus will be presented to God without sin. No wonder Jude says here in verse 24 that that day for a Christian will be experienced with exceeding joy. Did you see that there at the end of verse 24? That that presentation will be experienced with joy. When we stand before God on that day, we will know nothing but joy. Nothing but joy. You see, when the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, that is when we are without the righteousness of Christ. But when you are clothed in the righteousness of God, it is a joyful thing. A joyful thing to stand into His presence. To stand before Him faultless. We will know nothing but joy that day. Because for the first time in our lives, we will be whom Christ saved us to be. For the first time in our lives. Sinless. Perfect. Like Him. You see, on that day, our salvation will be complete. It will be finished. His promise in us fulfilled. Philippians 1, let us be confident of this very thing. He who has begun the good work in us, he will finish it. He will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. All those struggles we battle with, all those lusts, all those temptations, all those addictions, all those bad attitudes and that anger and the bitterness, all this thing that we battle with day after day after day, when we stand before him, gone, gone, perfect, faultless, Without sin, like Christ. Oh, friends, we are not without fault today. We're growing in grace. I had lunch with our kids' new high school principal this week or school administrator at his request. And uh, I was telling him a little bit about my kids so he would be prepared. I'll not tell you which one I said this about. I'll leave it to you to figure. But I did say this one is a sweetheart. But she's still growing in grace. Be patient with her. We're still growing in grace, aren't we? But on that day... On that day, we will be without fault. What an amazing thought. All right, let me give you one more. Let's, let's finish this up. I know you're sad not to hear me for over a month, so that's why I'm preaching a little bit longer today. I'm, I'm concerned about you. All right, number three here. 
All praise to him because he's able to keep us. Because one day he is going to present us without sin, faultless before God. And then he kind of closes it up in verse 25 by telling us that he will receive praise from his people. All praise to him because he will receive it. He will receive it both now and forever. Verse 25, to God our Savior who alone is wise. To God our Savior. Can I just add here that someone or something is trying to be your Savior? However, God alone is the only Savior from sin and death. But there is no other way except through faith in Jesus Christ. So we give praise to God who is our Savior. He is our Savior. The God of heaven is our Savior. Not the God of this world. Not the God of politics. Not, not, not the God of ambition. Not the God of money. Those things aren't our Savior, but they're trying to be your Savior. You have a Savior. The question is, who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? Jude says, God is our Savior. God is our Savior. He alone is wise. And so it is to God our Savior, Jude says. Look at verse 25. It is to Him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You know, when we think about what God has done for us, is doing, and will do for us, that that is, he's rescued us from a judgment that we deserve. He keeps us from stumbling. He will present us without sin before the presence of God's glory. And among all the other countless blessings that we are given in Christ, how can we not give him our highest praise? How can we not look forward to assembling in this place every Sunday and trying our best to get back here on Wednesday and fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters throughout the week with prayer and praise and Bible study? How can we not serve Him? How can we not belong to His body? How can we not give all of our life to Him? After all, He has, is, and will continue to do for us. You see, it's something that he deserves now. And Kathleen and I were talking about this on the way in this morning. It's the first time in a long time we've been able to talk on Sundays because we only have one kid in the car. It's a lot weird. It's weird, really weird. I've, I've heard people older than me like I've never remembered what life was like without kids. I used to think that's baloney. That's baloney. Because I remember what life was like without kids. I'm remembering it right now. We used to talk back then and hang out. All right, we're driving in the car this morning having a conversation. And she made a very astute observation. She said, God doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our worship. You know, you know what? That's the difference between God and us because we need people's praise, don't we? We need people's worship. God doesn't need that. The difference between us and God is he deserves it. He deserves it. He doesn't need it, but he deserves it. He deserves it. I don't need it or deserve it. All praise to him, Jude says, 
It's something he deserves now. It's something he will receive forever. Think about these things that Jude ascribes. He says, be glory to God. Glory is the all-divine intrinsic attributes that radiate his being as God. It's all the encompassing glory of God. He says, be majesty to God. Majesty is a description of his absolute reign as the sovereign Lord and King over all. He is in control. He has always been in control. Majesty belongs to God. Glory belongs to God. Dominion belongs to God. That is his rule and his might, the the extent of it. Sometimes we think that when we say God is in control, that means he's only in control when things are going good. No, no, no. He has all dominion over everything. Everything. He's in control when you perceive things are going bad. He's controlling everything. Everything. That is the extent of his dominion. It's, 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 it's everywhere. His rule and his might. It extends into dark places as it does into the light places. And then he says to God, be power. Be power. Authority. This is his authority to do whatever he wills. All praise to him because he can do whatever he wants to do. He is God and not us. His dominion, it extends to every arena, to every corner. There is nothing in this world that his hands are not involved in. Be majesty to God. He is a sovereign king and ruler over God, over all, and in his glory, his glory, the divine attributes that radiate who he is. As the kids saying, this is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget. That though the wrong seems often strong, God is the ruler yet. Do you believe that this morning? That though the wrong around us is often strong, God is still the ruler of this universe. All praise to Him. All praise to Him. So let's close it out with the context of the book, the letter. Jude says there are a lot of attackers coming into the church. There are a lot of attackers against God's word. There are a lot of intruders that desire to corrupt his church. But here's what Jude says. In the end, God wins. In the end, God wins because he will keep his people and he will present them faultless before the glory of God and he will bring to judgment all of those who have denied him. God wins. That's the book of Jude. God wins. The question this morning as the old timers used to sing, is are you on the winning side? Are you on the winning side? Draw near to Christ. Repent of your sin. Put your trust and faith in Him alone because you will never stand before God on the merit of your life. You will only stand before God and survive and live if you stand there wrapped in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. That is something we cannot work for. It is something we cannot give enough to attain. 
It only comes by simple trust, faith in Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he keeps us. He keeps us. He guarantees through all the bumps in the road that we will stand before God sinless. So for all our days, we will give him praise. To Jesus, our King, forever. Let's stand together for prayer this morning.